God is utterly trustworthy and deserves our love and trust. This is what Habakkuk discovered. After delving into deep conversation with the Almighty, the prophet Habakkuk comes to an amazing conclusion. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. In other words, if God is with you, you have everything you need. You just need to put your faith in Him. Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, we are on our third uh, message in the series on Habakkuk, a study in faith. Let me begin by uh, introducing you to some missionaries that you may have heard of. Uh, we've got five, five men and their wives. They felt called to go to Ecuador to share the gospel with the people of Ecuador. Um, these five missionaries, uh, they didn't all go down at the same time, but it was around the same time. They're ministering to different tribes. But they, they came into contact with a, a young lady from the Aka tribe. Uh, Aka, in case you wonder what that means, means naked. Uh, they, these people were literally people that ran around bare naked. Uh, and they were very, very hostile, very dangerous. Well, these, uh, these missionary men and their wives, they, they felt that God was leading them to go and, and reach these, this tribe. Nate Saint, the second from the right, he was the uh, pilot, and uh, he, he used to fly around that particular, uh, let's call it a community or, or village, and he rigged up a way to, to pass gifts on to these people. And so he would let down his bucket and the people would help themselves to the gifts that Nate had for them. And by, by doing this, he was hoping that he could win their favor, that they would become friends, and that they would get to know that these are good people. Well, the, the Akas started putting gifts into the basket for them. So they thought, well, we, we've got something happening there. And so they finally, they prayed together and they believed that God was leading them to reach the Akas. Nate State found a, a, a sandbar which he thought would be suitable for landing on. And uh, long story, uh, very long story, just long. Uh, Nate State brought these missionaries in. They landed, and they were met initially with favor. But then something happened. Something happened, uh, something they didn't understand. There was a misunderstanding among the people. And the next thing you know, all five of these men were, were slaughtered. Very sad and, and very confusing. Where is God? How could God let this happen? 
You can imagine what the widows and the children of these missionaries were thinking. God, we left the good life, North America. We, we gave up everything. We left our families. We left our possessions. We came to serve you. God, why couldn't you protect us? God, why? Why? Some of you may be here today and asking that very question about things going on in your life right now. There just doesn't seem to be any good answer for what's going on in your world. In fact, you may be tempted to give up on God, give up on church, give up on, on, on it all. Because it just doesn't make sense to you. When we read in the book of Habakkuk, we find that Habakkuk was kind of in the same boat. He looked around him in Habakkuk chapter 1, and he saw uh, that the whole culture seemed to be going to hell in a handbasket. There was, there was injustice everywhere. People were violent. People had forgotten about God. And what's worse, in Habakkuk's mind, it seemed as though God had forgotten about him and, and his people. God, where are you? The, we, we're your people. And it seems, Lord, as though you've abandoned us. Everything is terrible. That was Habakkuk's first complaint. And then God explained to Habakkuk what was going on. He said, don't worry, Habakkuk. I'm about to do something that's going to blow your mind. You've never seen anything like this. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, a cruel and a violent people. You think that you're seeing cruelty and violence around you? Wait till you see what I'm going to bring upon the people of Israel. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, and I'm going to use them to discipline my people. Habakkuk, that's not the answer he was looking for. Hey, how many know that so often the, the answers you're looking for are not the answers you get from God? And Habakkuk's got some more complaints now. Hold on a minute here, God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever put your hands on your waist? Shake your finger in the face of God? Hang on a minute here, God. I don't think you're just. I don't think this is right. Are you telling me, God, that you're going to favor the Babylonians over, over us? And God says, well, hold on a minute. I never said that. God, are you, are you telling us that you, that you are going to, you're going to raise up the Babylonians to discipline us and they're far worse than we are? It's amazing the questions that we have for God and the, and the ways that we don't really understand the ways of God. So Habakkuk is done with his second complaint. And he says, God, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not moving. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to wait to hear what your answer is. Habakkuk, like the wives of these brave men, wondered what on earth is God doing? How could God allow this? Now, before I go any further, I need to remind everybody of something. We live in a world that is under Satan's control. Does everybody understand this? The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, tells them that Satan is the god of this world. In fact, the god of this world has blinded the eyes of those who are perishing. And Satan 
does not like it when God's people get busy doing what God told us to do. And what is that? To go into all the world and share the good news of Jesus Christ. So we know that as long as we're living on this world, there is going to be a battle. There's going to be war. There's going to be war against God's people. You need to know that. As long as we're on this earth, before Jesus comes, sickness and disease and death and dying and all manner of evil will flourish on this planet. Does everybody understand that? There's some, some who believe, some theologians, uh, I wouldn't say many, and it's certainly not historical Christianity, but they would say that our job as Christians is, is to, to take over the world. We call it dominion theology. We're going to take over the world and we are going to control everything and then turn it over to God. The problem with this is that some wise theologians sat down and tried to figure out, well, exactly how long would it take for us to actually take dominion of the whole world? When I say we, I mean the church. And the answer is uh, approximately 35,000 years. Obviously, that's not the answer. And it's not just the answer because 35,000 years is a long time. It's not what the Bible says. We as the church will not take over the world. But there is one who will do that. And his name is Jesus. He is the rider on the white horse. Hallelujah. And he's coming. Not yet, but he's coming soon. Listen to what the revelator says about the white rider. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Hallelujah. But until that time... What do we do? In the meantime, how do we face the things that we're facing? The things that don't make sense. I'm going to tell you, as long as we're living in a fallen world, we will experience the consequences of a world that has fallen. Does everybody understand that today? You need to know what the scriptures say. Let's turn to Habakkuk again and look at his journey. So in chapter 1, we find Habakkuk questioning God. Where are you? What are you doing? This doesn't make sense. Uh, evil's winning. God is losing. Have you ever, are you ever tempted to think that? Evil's winning. God is losing. That's what Habakkuk thought. You can read it, chapter 1. And Habakkuk thinks God's unfair. He's kinder to the ungodly than he is to his own. What's happened here, folks, I'm going to tell you, is that Habakkuk has lost his faith. Maybe that's you today. You've lost your faith. You just are, Your faith is hanging by a thread. You've been praying your guts out, and it seems nothing's happening. What do you do when you lose your faith? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. And here's the answer. When you lose your faith, if your faith is hanging by a thread, the thing you need to do is do it Habakkuk did. You need to run to God. Run as quickly as you can. Fly to your God as quickly as you can. 
And that's what Habakkuk 2, Habakkuk chapter 2 tells us. Verse 1, it says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait. I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Now, we said in the first week that God invites you. God is not intimidated by your difficult questions. He invites you to come to him. He invites you to cry out to him. He invites you to call on his name. Bring your hard questions to God. It doesn't hurt him or bother him. So that's what Habakkuk does. He comes before God. He waits on God. What does it mean to wait on God? Very simply, it means to pray. It means to reflect on his word. How many know the word of God is a revelation of God himself? If you want to know God, if you want to understand God, if you want to know what God is thinking, if you want to know how God operates, and you have to know the word of God. If you never read your God, I can guarantee you are living in a fog. You are living in confusion. You are coming to wrong conclusions all the time. And Habakkuk knows what to do. He needs to fly to God. You'll notice that he doesn't run to the fortune teller or, or to the psychic. He doesn't run to, uh, to, to, the, to his pastor even. He doesn't run to, to anybody. He just runs to God. Who are you running to when you don't know what's going on in your life? You need to run to God. Some people turn on their TV. Some people turn on the radio. Some people pick up a book. Some people want to listen to a DVD. You go on YouTube. I got to listen to the, to the latest, greatest preachers on the YouTube. God says, turn to me. Listen to me. Hear what I've got to say. So Habakkuk waits on the Lord. There, I will wait to see what the Lord says. How many know that God is still in the business of speaking to his people? The question is, are his people still in the business of listening to the voice of God? When we get to chapter 2, Habakkuk's waiting for the voice of God, and God speaks. Oh, he speaks powerfully. And basically, he says, Habakkuk, there's at least two things you need to know. Two things that truly stand out in the book, second chapter of the book of Habakkuk. And here's the first thing. God says, look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, messed up, mixed up. But the righteous, what do they do? They put their faith in God. The righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Nothing has changed from Genesis to Revelation. God expected Adam and Eve to put their faith in him. And it's never changed from the beginning to the end. We are called to put our faith in God. What does it mean to put our faith in God? What is faith? Faith is to believe God and do what he says. For Adam and Eve, God said, don't eat that fruit from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because when you do, you will die. 
Adam and Eve chose not to believe God. They chose not to do what God said. Why? Because they were not living by their faithfulness to God. They were not living by faith. Every single person who wants to find pleasure with God, wants to please God, has to live by faith. This is what it says in Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, we have twisted the idea of faith, in North America especially. False teachers, false preachers have given us this notion or this idea that faith is like a magic power that we have to get what we want. There's nothing more demonic that has been taught from the pulpits of churches. I'm going to tell you today what faith truly is. Faith believes God and does what he says. Even when you don't understand it, even when it doesn't make sense to you, you believe God and you do what he says. Abraham believed God and did what God said. Abraham, leave your home country. Go to the place I'm leading you. Abraham left his home country. Does he know where he's going? Not really. How many know that so often what God asks us to do doesn't necessarily make sense and it doesn't add up and we can't connect all the dots? But we do what God says because he's, he's God and he said to do it. I'm a father of three children. They are all adults now. But one of the things that, that, that I have learned about God, uh, uh, it's being a father. And I, I'm going to tell you, there's things I've asked my kids to do when they were younger that they didn't understand. You have to do this. And at times I have to say, because I'm dad. Because I said so. How many, how many heard that growing up? Because I said so. Well, the fact of the matter is sometimes when we're, when we're little, we're, we're kids, we don't understand the why. But we trust our Father. We believe our Father. We do what our fathers say because he knows best. Well, Abraham believed God and did what God said. And you know what the Bible says about Abraham? God saw his faithfulness. God saw his faith, his obedience, and God attributed that to him as righteousness. This is what makes us righteous, is believing God and doing what he says. You said, Pastor Alan, I thought you said nothing changed over the years. It hasn't. We moved to, to the time that Jesus is preaching on the earth. And again, it's faith. John 3.16, everybody knows that verse off by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will have life, and life eternal. What are we doing? We're believing God and doing what he says. God says salvation now comes through faith in my son. Well, that blew the minds of the poor Jewish people at that time. They'd never heard of such a thing. But God reveals himself through his son and says, believe in me, and in that way you will have salvation. In that way you will be righteous. God says to Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. What else does 
God say to Habakkuk? At the end of the chapter, chapter 2, he says, But the Lord is in his holy temple, let the earth be silent before him. He tells Habakkuk, Habakkuk, I'm not a man. I'm not like you. I'm God. And you need to be silent. You need to listen and you need to obey. We get a glimpse of this. We shared it last week. I shared a, a passage from, from Job. Job is under, the, under, well, it seems like he's under attack. It's, it seems as though God has rejected and even forgotten about Job. You know the story. He loses his children. He loses his wealth. He loses everything. And on top of that, to add insult to injury, he develops a terrible case of boils. It is so bad that his wife says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? Job says no. Job is surrounded by so-called friends. I say so-called friends because they, I think they were truly trying to help him. But they were playing God. And they were trying to say, Job, the reason you've got all these problems is because there's sin in your life. Has anybody ever said that to you? The reason you got these problems in your life is because there's sin in your life? Now, sometimes that is the case, but not always. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. And Job listens to all of his counselors. And Job says, basically, well, his, Job's only sin is really his pride. And he in a sense, says, God, I'm innocent, and you know it. And how could you let this kind of thing happen to me? And after listening to the wearisome counsel of Job's friends, finally God shows up and, uh, and says this. Then the Lord said to Job, Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? Then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. And so in chapter 3 of Habakkuk, we find Habakkuk coming face to face with the living God. Habakkuk, who is complaining in chapter 1, and listening in chapter 2, he gains confidence in God in chapter 3. Listen to this. This is, this is amazing. Angry, bitter, complaining to God in chapter 1. By chapter 3, Habakkuk has met with God, and he says, suddenly he's singing. From angry to rejoicing and singing and glad. You would think that there is something wrong with him. But in fact, there's something right with him. He has seen God. Here, listen to me, folks. Listen, this, let the Spirit of God speak to you right now. Because as soon as you see God, as soon as you meet God, it's a game changer. This is why I teach here. The very first thing that you need to do when you become a Christian is learn how to have a daily walk with God where you're meeting God and you know God on a daily basis. Habakkuk has come face to face with God, and now he's singing. You see the change? I have heard all about you, Lord, and I'm filled with awe. No more complaints from Habakkuk. 
He's filled with awe. I'm filled by, with awe by your amazing works. In the same, in this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. You see the utter change in his demeanor, in his countenance, in his heart. You need to learn how to meet with God on a daily basis. Some of you, your faith is hanging by a thread because it's been a long time since you met with God, since you came face to face with Him. I'm going to tell you right now before I go any further, nothing about the way God works will ever make sense to you. You will never be comfortable with God in the way that He works until you learn how to have a relationship with Him. You need to know Him. And the only way you are going to have a relationship with him is if you are in the habit of praying to him every day and in the habit of listening to him speak to you through his word. This is critical. If you don't get this, you don't get the Christian faith at all. In fact, it's so easy for us to simply become cultural Christians whose hearts are not transformed by the word of God. Habakkuk is transformed here from complaining to being filled with awe, from whining to simply and humbly asking God for help, from grumbling to asking God humbly, please God, show us your mercy. He's utterly and completely transformed. It's not just Habakkuk and Job who are transformed after they meet with God. Some of you know the story of, of, of Moses. He kills one of, his, uh, one of the attackers of one of his countrymen. He flees Egypt. And while he's in the middle of the wilderness, God appears to him in the form of a burning bush. And he hears that voice in the bush. What happens next is... Is miraculous. God says to Moses, I want you to go back to your people and I want you to set them free. Moses left Egypt as a prince, but he returned as a prophet of God, utterly and completely transformed. It's not just Moses who met God face to face. In fact, we find the whole, the whole Old Testament full of example after example of people who have met with God. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, he's, he's in, in the presence of God on the Lord's day, and suddenly he has a revelation of God, and he says, woe is me, I am ruined, I have met with God. Wow. And it's in that place, humbled before the Lord, where he hears the voice of God. He hears God say, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, hear my Lord, use me. It's amazing what happens when we come face to face with the living God. It's not just Isaiah, not just Habakkuk, not just Job. David met with God. Abraham met with God. Isaac, Jacob. Peter. In the book of Luke. He had an encounter with, with God. He was fishing. They were fishing for fish, and nothing was coming up. Their, their nets were empty. And Jesus comes along and says, Hey, hey, 
throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And you know the story, they, they threw the nets on the other side of the boat, and the next thing you know, those nets were so heavy and so, so laden with fish that Peter knew that God was near. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. It's the same reaction that Isaiah has. Woe is me. I am ruined. I am in the presence of Almighty God. It transforms your heart. It transforms your mind. You begin to recognize that it's not just you in this crazy world, but there is a God who knows your name and has not forgotten about you. Thomas walked with Jesus for three years, saw Jesus healing the sick, walking on water, multiplying the loaves and the fishes, raising the dead, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Thomas then watched Jesus die on the cross and watched him put in the tomb. When he heard the ladies say, Jesus has risen from the dead, he didn't believe. He doubted. That's why we call him Doubting Thomas. That's why we call people who have lost their faith, who have lost touch with God, we call them a Doubting Thomas. But Jesus, in his mercy and his kindness, he came to Thomas and said, Thomas, stick your finger in the hole in my hand. Know that I am the risen Lord. And Thomas looked at Jesus. And Jesus said, stick your hand in my side where I was stabbed with a spear. See if I am not the risen Lord. And Thomas's reaction, his response, when he comes face to face with Jesus, he says, my Lord and my God. The problem with our Christianity is that we have settled. We have settled for second best. God wants you to know him as the living almighty God who has not forgotten your name, has not forgotten your situation, who knows all about what you are going through today and yesterday and in the future. He knows you by name. You need to have a glimpse. You need to meet him face to face, and you need to know him face to face. <laughs> That's how the apostle Paul became a Christian. He came face to face with Jesus. He was on his, he was uttering his murderous threats on his way to Damascus to kill Christians. And Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul. It's like he literally he hit a wall. He came face to face with Jesus. And Jesus said to him in that blinding light, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? It is Jesus whom you are persecuting. You know the story? The arrogant, proud, murderous Saul becomes in that moment the blind, humiliated, humbled Paul. And he's converted and he's surrendered to God. Listen to me. Everyone who sees the Lord Everyone who comes face to face with a living God will 
be filled with a confidence and an assurance that God is in control. Have you come to that place yet? Habakkuk did. Listen to what Habakkuk says. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. And this will blow your mind, because this is not what you think of when you're going to hear a sermon about faith. Habakkuk says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, and even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. This is real Christianity. This is the real thing. This is the, the Christianity that says, I have a confidence in God no matter what. The God of this age may think that he is winning, but we know who wins. I have read the, the, the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and you have too, and you know who wins. Who wins? God wins. God wins. You know it. But we're not there yet. So how do we live in this world until that day when the white rider shows up and puts an end to all evil? We put our faith in God. Now, some of you, reading those white words, you thought, man, that is the most depressing thing I ever heard. And so I need to tell you something. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, I would agree. There is nothing more depressing, more empty than those white words. But if you put your faith in God, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you understand that God is on his throne, that he is sovereign, if you understand that Jesus Christ is your Savior, and that to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. A total confidence in God. Why? Because he has met God. He knows God face to face. If you know God and you walk with him and you have, enjoy, if you're enjoying intimacy with him, then you can say, I, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord no matter what happens. I don't care. That's literally what Habakkuk is saying. It, I, I preferred if everything was good. But regardless of what happens, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my what? My salvation. Folks, this is what real Christianity is. If you are truly converted and you walk with God and you know God, then you understand this. If you're not converted, then this doesn't make sense. And you're going to try to come to a different conclusion. The problem with those who are not converted is they don't understand that there is an eternity. They don't understand that we are headed for eternity. They can't say with the Apostle Paul to live as Christ and to die as gain. But if you know that you're converted, you're ready to say, Lord, as Isaiah said, hear my, use me. And if it means I have to be martyred, that means I have to die for the cause, sign me up. Do we have a sign-up sheet in the back? Anybody like to sign up to be martyred? Let's go ahead and sign up, and we'll take you to Iran.
the new missions program we have. Folks, we're talking about real Christianity here. We're talking about real faith. A faith that has a full 100% confidence in God. Now, you're going to say, Pastor Ron, you know, I'm Pentecostal. This, is, I, this doesn't really sit well with me. Well, I'm Pentecostal too. I am Pentecostal enough to believe that the spirit of the living God is at work in my life. And he may do miracles in my life, or he may not. He may use me in a way that I would like to be used. But ultimately, what matters is that you and I say, God, here am I, use me for whatever you want to do. Read Hebrews chapter 11, folks. One of my favorite chapters. You've got to read it. Because we see this list of heroes, men and women, whom God has declared faithful. People of faith that do great and mighty things for the glory of God of God. It tells of great men and women who did miracles for God. Moses, he parted the Red Sea. Daniel, he, he fought off the lions. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stood in the fiery furnace. Nothing happened to them. That didn't, that didn't work for everybody. Does everybody get that? The white here describes usually what happens while we're living on this earth. I'm just being honest with you. But here's what I'm going to tell you about the people who are called the heroes of the faith. Verse 39 of Hebrews 11, verse 39 and 40 says, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. Did you hear that? Any preacher that tells you you can have everything if you have faith is not telling you the truth. Because the word of God declares otherwise. And why? Why did, not, why did God not give them all that he had promised? Well, it says that, verse 40, because God had something better in mind. Are you getting the pattern here? God is God. He knows what he's doing, even when we don't know what he's doing. Do you have that kind of faith to trust them? Can you say with Habakkuk, yet I'll rejoice in the Lord, I'll be joyful in the God of my salvation. Whatever happens, I'm trusting God. I'm not letting go. I'm hanging on tight. Boy, some, some of those great heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11, they did great miracles. But let me tell you about the ones that didn't do great miracles and who didn't live a long life. You read on in Hebrews 11, 35 to 38, but others, but others of faith, of great faith, were tortured. Oh, sign me up for that. Others were tortured, refusing to turn from, from God in order to be set free. They could have, they could have denounced God and be set free, but they chose, they chose the living God. They refused to turn their back on God. No, they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. 
Now listen, you've got to understand this if you're going to understand faith and if you're going to understand the Christian life. Your great desire is not for the things of this world. Do you get that? Your desire, I'll say it again, your desires are not for the things of this world. They place their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Can I ask you a question? Are you living in light of eternity? Is that your goal? Is that your longing? That's what the early believers did. They were looking for a better place. Some were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Pastor, I never heard this before. Of course not. This is not the stuff that gets people to come to your church. This is not what gets people to give donations to you when you're on TV. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. And others were killed with a sword. Some were about, uh, went about wearing skins of, of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. Hallelujah. Sign me up. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Listen to me, folks. No one can have this kind of faith unless he or she has seen the Lord and knows him intimately on a daily basis. If you're going to have this kind of faith, the faith that Habakkuk had by chapter 3, content, peaceful, joyful, singing, whistling a happy tune, confident in God, if you're going to have that kind of faith, it's only going to come from doing what Habakkuk did. And that's having that daily relationship with God where you're meeting him and you know him and you know he loves you and you love him. kind of a faith do you have today? Do you have a real faith, or is it an immature faith? Or is it a magical faith? The faith that the Bible teaches us is a faith in God, where you believe God and you do what he says every time, even if it means death, even if it means losing it all. You say, Pastor Allen, I don't think I can do this. And I would say, I'm so glad you figured that out. You can't live this faith in your own energy, in your own wisdom, in your own strength. This is why we need the Holy Spirit to dwell in us richly. It's the only way that we can live like this. It's the only way that we can say with Habakkuk, yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in the God of my salvation no matter what. Let me close with this. These missionaries, they lost their lives. Great men of faith and, and struck down so early. I can tell you if I was God, if I were God, I wouldn't do it that way. But I'm not God. And I don't see what God can see. Nobody here could see or understand what God sees and understands. But let me tell you this. 
Because of the death of these men, God created a movement, the second half of the last century, a missions movement, young people, Bible colleges full of young people whose hearts were set on fire because of the martyrdom of these five men. These men who said, God, hear my, use me. I'm one of them. I'm one of the people that was moved by the story of these great men. Some of you may have heard of the book, Through Gates of Splendor. You may have even seen the movie. There was even a movie made not that long ago, long ago called The End of the Spirit. I don't know all of what God was doing, but I do know a little bit. I know that God used this as a catalyst to send out young missionaries throughout the world. And I was one of them that said, God, hear my, use me. More than that, the, the death of these men opened the way for their wives to preach the gospel to the orphans. And their wives stayed behind. You see, if they didn't have the faith that Habakkuk learned, they would have gone home and they would have said, if God's not going to help us, I'm out of here. I don't need this. What kind of a God would allow this? That's not the faith of these men and their wives. They stayed behind. And that guy in the middle, Jim Elliott, his wife, just two years later, was invited by the office to come and live with him. And she went with her children, and she preached the gospel to them. And the men who killed her husband were her first converts. They gave their hearts to Jesus. You have to read the story sometime when you get a chance. It doesn't make sense to the natural mind. But those who have faith trust in a God who knows what's going on, even when we don't. Would you stop me, please? Father, thank you this morning for showing us in your word that you are sovereign you're in control. You know what's going on even when we do not know what's going on. Help us to understand today, God, that we were created for eternity. And those who put their faith in Christ have eternal life. And those of us who put our faith in God, we say, God, whatever comes, so be it. But I will not turn my back on you. I will trust you. I will believe you. Father, give us the grace today to have the faith of Habakkuk. Help us, God, we pray, to have the faith of these great men who laid down their lives for your glory and honor. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would bring a revival to us revival in our midst, a revival that comes from a faith in the living God. Father, we commit ourselves to you right now and thank you that you are holding our lives in your hands. God, there's so many things we don't understand, but today, Lord, 
we say, God, into your hands I commit myself. Be glorified. In Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Tell the person beside you, go put your faith in God.